0: Hey guys, welcome to the Blip Podcast, where we help agents build successful agencies. I'm your host, Josh Berg, and on this episode, I learned a few things. So about a month ago, I flew to Kentucky to get some training from Nick Ayers with Made You Look Video Marketing. Well, I wasn't the only agency owner there. I saw some people I've been wanting to connect with for a while, and one of those people I, had, I knew of, but I never met in person. And that was Keith Rocha. So I heard Keith a few years back talk about his niche and how he markets to them. And when we were having coffee after the event, I knew I had to have him on to get this info out. So I won't spoil too much of it, but Keith was strategic in his niche. And we'll talk about that, but the main two reasons he decided to get into working with property investors is because the policies are super low maintenance as opposed to something like contractors And the commissions are some of the highest you can get on property and casualty business. So we've been talking about niching down in our agency and marketing to that niche, but we just haven't gotten around to it yet. Keith really makes me want to pull that trigger. So let's do this. Here's my interview with Keith. Anyone who catches this, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Blitz podcast, where... We help agents build successful agencies. I'm Josh Berg, and if you're interested in what we're doing, you can check us out at bluelineinsurancepartners.com, and you can find more information out about our anti-aggregator. If you have not subscribed to this podcast or YouTube channel or wherever you're listening and you've received some value from it, please subscribe, leave a comment, share it. It really helps us reach more people. Um, So today, I've got... Keith Rocha on. Keith is with the American Insurance Group in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we are going to be talking about habitational investment properties, things like that. So, Keith, welcome to the show, man.
1: Josh, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, um, I just met Keith for the first time face to face down in um, Kentucky. And uh, anyway, we're together,
1: some awesome barbecue.
0: We did. You know, okay.
1: So let's, first of all,
0: it, people probably will, I'll get chastised for this, but I'm not a huge barbecue fan. Yeah, like, I don't think, think the show's going to work. I, gonna <laughs> <have> right <laughs> now. There's some, uh, you know, some interference here. I can't really hear you. Um, but yeah, I'd like, I've had enough of it and I'm. it's okay, but I just don't feel like it's like, for me, it just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't get me excited. Where are you um, from again? I'm from Washington, from yeah, that Seattle. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So we get, we get a lot of food up there. But yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Keith, welcome to the show again, man. Can you maybe give us a little background history on how you got into insurance in the first place?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, pretty natural progression. I was working in construction at the time, and that, of course, lends itself to getting into insurance, right? Um, uh, of course not at all. I I was doing project management and sales um, for my brother-in-law's company. I'd moved down here just to be close to my my girlfriend, uh, not wife at at the time, and uh, uh, he he needed some help, and so I joined his his company and and uh, I, I knew long term I wanted to do something in sales, and so I spent a year or two looking at um, different type of sales jobs that are out there, and ran into a buddy of mine back home who owned an insurance agency, and and he convinced me to. Uh, to join him as a, as a producer. So I started working for an agency based out of Chicago, but working remotely for him here in, in Chattanooga. So that's so I got my first start. That was back in 2010. He's an independent agent um, uh, up in Chicago. Wow. Nice. I've got a,
0: Chicago's got a special place in my heart, my wife. Um, she'll probably tell you she's from there, although she's from Michigan, but that's yeah. where she, like, you know, a lot of her. Um... Well, I'd, I'd claim Chicago over Michigan, too. So, Makes sense. yeah, I was. <laughs> but she <laughs> loves it. And I've been there. It's great. Um, but anyway, yeah. So how, you you you're niched. Why don't you tell us about your niche and, and what you do and and like kind of what your focus is right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, probably thirty, forty percent of our business, and we're trying to grow this segment, is property investors, and that's uh, anything from as small as a, a single-family rental. Uh, now I prefer a large schedule of them versus one location, up to a large commercial lessors, risk um, apartment complexes, uh, self-storage facilities, and, and pretty much if if you can own it as an investment property, I want it. With the exception, um, I don't want I don't want trailer park. I, we don't we don't touch those. No? Nope. Not interested. What, why not? What's the problem
0: with those? <laughs> uh,
1: typically, the uh, type of investor owning them and the type of carriers that want to insure them uh, is just not a great space for us. Yeah. Got now, you. if someone okay. has a large part- portfolio and that they happen to have one, cool. Uh, I'll take it. But if their main focus is trailers and trailer parks, no thanks. Yeah. Gotcha. And so
0: how how did you start to focus on this? Like, is it intentional? You fall into it like most people? How did it happen? Yeah. So with, with
1: this agency, so I started this agency um, uh, back in 2014, and uh, it was a little bit more planned out getting to, into this space because of past experience as a producer um, with my prior agency. And so uh, that the first agency I was with, if someone asked me for a quote, I didn't care what industry it was. I didn't care if they were an SR22 individual that needed auto insurance or whatever. I was quoting it. And yeah. uh, that is not a great way to get started in the insurance industry. Um, yeah, early on, I, I thought I had a, a pretty big win. I had picked up this staffing account. Um, his comp premium was uh, like 85,000. I'm like, dude, I just crushed. Um, but the premium was, like I said, it was 85,000, but the commission percentage was 5%. Oh, and it was yeah. paid as earned. Right. And so that large premium really wasn't that great of an account. And so I started, as I, as I you know, kind of progressed and started this agency, um, was intentional about uh, trying to find uh, accounts that are BOP-driven and package-driven from a premium standpoint, because uh, typically the BOP and the package pays the highest percentage of, of, any, of any line typically exception of of bonds Um, uh, and then also those that are are not heavy from a service standpoint so uh, I said this before I'm not a big fan of contractors contractors are very service heavy typically uh as much as half or more of the premium on the total account is workers comp. And you may get five on the low end to 11% if you're lucky on the on the commission on, the, on that yeah. portion. And I like 15 to 20 to 25% commission uh, on an account uh, more so. And to say yeah. one certificate of insurance for the EPI versus one a week for a contractor. Um, yeah. So we did we've, I've done some analysis over the years because I do have some contractors. I'll give you, give you an example. I had uh, uh, one of my com- uh, commercial contractors, uh, they spend about 42,000 um, in commercial premium with us, not, not a big account, but decent size. Um, we processed something like 80 or 90 um, activities on his account over a, a year period. So a, a decent amount. Yeah. Um, his, his account generated roughly 4,000, a little over that in, in commission to the agency. Okay. Um, now I've got a uh, individual investor who owns about thirty five to forty single family rentals. Uh, his premium was roughly thirty thousand at fifteen percent. Uh, was giving me a decent chunk of of commission there, a little bit yeah. more than than my my contractor. We had three activities on the account over over a year's period. Um, so you imagine from a profitability uh, standpoint which one do you think was, was more profitable? And right. that's been um, true across the board on the bulk of our investor clients. Um, now you do have some investors that tend to be more flippers and, and I'm not crazy about the uh, the flip guys that don't buy and yep. hold. So, if, so right. if I'm working with a flipper, they've got to have a decent uh, buy and hold portfolio or willing to go on a reporting form policy that I'm not involved in, in the process of making all the changes. Um, so We'll, we'll make some exceptions on on that front.
0: So, can you um, can you talk about kind of what you just said? Because and yeah, like the reporting form policy, right? Like, what's what's the difference between that and standalone policies?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I'll give you a, give an example on uh, on a flipper. You had a guy who's closing on two or three properties a, a month and selling two or three properties a month. I mean, that's six. Policy changes I'm making if I'm going to do that manually. So I collect all that information, right. get a new one issued, take it off. And if it's, and some of our um, programs that we use are agency build. So then I'm doing not only uh, policy changes, I'm doing accounting transactions then on the back end as well. Right. And that is just a massive headache uh, Yeah, versus the client getting a piece of bail that they have all their existing locations on that schedule okay here are all the ones you have if you don't want to continue to insure it just cross it off and then add any new ones on there has the rate on there so they can calculate the premium for any of the new properties and i don't have touch that so uh they already calculate their their final premium send it in with with the policy change form directly to the carrier and i'm just Making annual review changes or sending EPIS if necessary, and so and that would be for for a flipper or even uh, you'll deal with that with with a new uh, home builder as well. um, That that reporting for.
0: So your clients that have um, like on the small like they have a lot of single family rentals, is that how you set them
1: up? So if they have a lot of single family rentals, I typically consider those a a buy and hold guy. Um, Yeah, and so they'll they'll be on our just standard. Program um, uh, that just it's a commercial package policy uh, that has all their locations listed. Um, and if they make any one or two changes a year, I just process the, the change. But yeah. for the buy and hold guy who also flips a bunch, I may put his buy and hold in one program and then the flipping portion in that reporting form.
0: So we don't, and I'm probably gonna ask you some questions that you're like, yeah, man, duh. But we don't have any clients that have, well, I mean, shouldn't say any, but we don't, we have very few clients that have more than 10 rental properties. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to putting all rental properties on one form, like we just don't do it typically. So my knowledge on that is very minimal. And I think that's probably pretty standard. Mm -hmm. Um, But so when, so when, you have somebody when you say on a commercial policy like that. Yep. Like who are who? What carrier are you talk? Carriers are you talking about? Like is it is it truly a like a commercial policy or is it? Oh, it's like, truly commercial.
1: It yeah, you're you've got some carriers that will do. Well, I'll give you auto owners. They're one of our flagship uh, carriers. Um, we may start an investor in auto owners personal lines uh, space because they can do the dwelling fire program. I think it's right. Up to 10 rentals. Maybe I can't remember exactly how many on, on, on that program, but then yeah. at a certain size uh, the carrier won't do any more on the personal lines. It has to go commercial package. And I can yeah. put, I mean, 200 locations on a auto owner's commercial package policy. Um, it also gives wow. you flexibility from a pricing perspective. I mean, <laughs> you can't request pricing on personal lines. It's subject yeah. to their credit score. It's subject to uh, you know, all that. Um, whereas, you know, and get twenty percent pricing, thirty percent pricing on that commercial package. Oh, and I'm getting twenty yeah. percent on the on the package instead of uh you know, 17 or 15 on the on the dwelling fire. So yeah, I want to do a package. <laughs> Are there other carriers that um do that sort of similar thing, or is auto owners like your go-to? Uh it it depends. I mean auto owners um writes a lot of preferred business. So uh, these properties got to be in really, really good shape because auto owners inspects everything. Yeah. Um, And so if it's, I mean, if it's a little bit of a dirty risk, yeah, I'm not putting it, I'm not putting it there. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to protect my my profit sharing. So we do have some, some other programs that, uh, that we use that uh, they're a little less stringent on the underwriting, um, but can still do large schedules that can do. 30 50 100 200 uh, locations.
0: So um, if you have so you know we have a lot of clients that are you know just kind of your standard people but they might have three or four rental properties mm-hmm. you know and they're they're hanging on to them had them for a while whatever mm-hmm. at what point since they're not like a, a like a commercial investor necessarily yeah. like at what point do you make that transition
1: Yeah, from individual policies. So Part of uh, our onboarding with, with a new client um, who has investment properties is, is, is get to know what's their plan moving forward. Are they planning on buying two, three, four, five rentals in the next year? Does it make sense to put them on a rental schedule day one because they're going to keep growing or they just have two or three because they've had them for the last five years? And if that's the case, I'll keep them on a personal lines. Um, usually 10 is the limit where you have no choice you got to move them Um, Right. uh, but I've had some as few as 4 or 5 that'll start on a commercial package day 1 because they're planning on adding a bunch more and it's just easier, more cost effective to put them on that package day 1 so what is
0: is there like um, is there like a minimum premium on those package policies or because I mean aside well it, to me, it seems like a client might, it just might be easier for that person if they, you know, have three or four rentals, just have one policy, you know, yeah. it all comes through nice and easy. Um, but is there some additional um, thing that yep. you're Benefit. you're taking? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, one, one of the particular programs that we have... Um, uh, access to it comes built in with a pretty sizable umbrella. It comes with a ten million dollar umbrella built in. Oh, and drain, sewer and drain, drain back backup built in at $100,000. Um, hundred thousand. Two years actual loss sustained on business interruption. Um, all these key coverages. Even comes with twenty five K of flood coverage unless you're in one of the high risk zones. Just built into the base. Whether oh, you have cool. one location or you've got fifty, that just comes built in. And so nice. to even try to match anywhere close to that. On a personal lines policy or even on a commercial package with another carrier it you'd be so far off from yeah perspective yeah i've put as, as few as a single location on that uh platform because it was a higher net worth individual and it was just easier to get that 10 million dollar coverage for that one location in that yeah. particular program that totally makes sense
0: I totally get it now cool um, so how you know, where do you, h- how do you acquire all these new customers?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, so <laughs> one thing that, uh, it's been really cool being part of the insurance agency owners Alliance that you and I are in that, uh, that group, um, it's, it's caused me to see that's a big need just with other businesses uh, as well. And so being able to collaborate and connect with other business owners, um, and in our case, insurance agency owners, is is a huge benefit. There's so much that we can learn from each other that you can't learn from somebody who doesn't own an insurance agency. And so uh, out of my experience with IAOA, um, I started connecting some of my real estate investors, uh, just started off casually getting coffee with five, six, seven of them um, once a month. I just would connect them just to chat about investing in real estate. And yeah. uh, this last year, um, we've turned that into a little bit more formal of an event. And so we started investing, in, um, uh, inviting non investor clients to this. And we just had our, our most recent meeting and it was a sponsored lunch. We brought in a um, Ritech, which is a local uh, remediation contractor, to help pay for it. Um, but it was a free event. To, and, and the only requirement we had was you had to own investment property and so yeah. i I don't own any, but hey i'm I'm sponsoring the event, so <laughs> I could right. be there, um my rules and so we had thirty three i think thirty four people that were there, and less than half of them were our clients oh,
0: that's cool, uh,
1: so they were they were then you know seventeen ish uh prospects that own anywhere from four or five rentals to a lady that has a couple hundred of them that were there, and it i mean. Target-rich environment. Um, so now we're we're starting to do that every other month is we're hosting this real estate investors luncheon and we bring in a speaker, another real estate investor who's got a a niche that they do to share their expertise on it. Uh, so we've had this last one was on on finance, how to finance my um, investment property, and so my uh, college roommate who uh, invests in quite a bit of real estate, uh, he uses um, private investors. To fund his deals, uh, mm-hmm. another uh, they had someone else that uh, was a banker talk about financing a residential uh, investment, and then one of our commercial bankers who also owns commercial property talk about financing a commercial piece of property. It was just kind of a, uh, a platform to to get feedback um, from from finance guys. That's obviously a big big deal if uh, <laughs> you're looking to buy property. Yeah. How, right. how, how do you fund it? Right. And, so and just... how? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I would say just about providing value uh, to that group um, and us just kind of um, creating that, that forum for them to, to learn from each other. And how, how are you um, getting people that aren't your clients already
0: to that event?
1: <laughs> so uh, you're going to love this. We did uh, <laughs> some, direct, some direct mail. Um, oh nice. We sent uh, we pulled from our property assessor um, people that owned at least 10 um, uh, residential pieces of property or a decent amount of commercial property and uh, we sent them an invitation. Cool. That uh, we that's had That's awesome. Quite a bit show up. So So uh, um are you following up with those people after that event? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. And so um so that's one way.
1: Are there any other ways that you're Going about attracting new clients. So uh, now, from a uh, online presence, that's one thing that we're um, we're starting to do is all of our blog posts now are going to be more geared towards um, real estate investors. Um, okay. We're ju- we're just starting on, on that piece. So we have done we have done some direct mail too um, to the self storage uh, space, and that's worked well um, for for the niche. The one thing that's interesting with um, real estate investors. They're hard to cold call. You can't cold call. It's very hard to cold call on a real estate investor because uh, it's not like they just have a storefront you can just walk into or they have a listed business number, and yeah. and this is where um, some direct mail uh, can be useful because it's not hard to find their address. If you find the property right, you just you know the mailing address, yeah, uh, yeah and then then it's just a numbers game um, nice so um,
0: yeah, so um, when so you do direct mail, you do, is that event that you do, is that like a monthly thing you're trying to do? We're doing
1: every other month now.
0: Every other month, nice. Yep. Um, are there any other ways you go about generating, getting and new business?
1: Business bankers, uh, referrals from, from clients. Uh, we do get uh, now referrals from uh, our investor clients because that the investor space, they know each other. You get some of these wholesale guys, they're not buying anything. They're just yeah. putting on a contract, flipping it to somebody else. Um, Uh, We now are then the referral source for, for insurance for those guys. Um, That's uh, actually a good
0: source because those guys, they're not using their own money. They don't actually typically hold the property, but they're selling it. And like that person. Yeah.
1: They're basically real estate agents without a license. Yeah.
0: I mean, essentially. Right. Right. Do you feel, um, so if you're going to start gearing, um, gearing most of your content, things like that towards this niche and it's, you know, 30, 35% of your entire agency. Are you concerned at all about the, um, I guess the view of your existing clients that aren't in that niche that like, oh, these guys, you know, this is what they do.
1: They don't really handle our type of stuff. Are you yeah, concerned at all about losing that? No, no, not really, because it would not be hard to adjust from a, from a branding perspective of, um, you know, if I had the American Insurance Group with um, investor program and a dedicated website to just the investor space. And, and that's what we'll do eventually is have some dedicated branding to just uh, that space. Not, not hard to separate. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of agencies, agencies that have programs and that brand for the different programs. Uh, so, no, no, not concerned about that.
0: That's cool. Um I think niching down is something that I feel like is it's not necessary, right? There's a ton of generalist agencies out there, but I mean, it's it's seems like the way to go. For right. me, like I've I've talked to enough people. I've, you know, figured it out enough, but it's it's scary, you know? It's scary at least to, in my opinion it's scary because you feel like you're you know, missing out on the higher premium sr 22s or all the kind of junk stuff that you may <laughs> you not even know. want, right? But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yep. I mean, if you're a generalist and you have been for a long time and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it might make sense to start niching down on this thing. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, I, I I know personally, even though in my head, I know it's a good thing to do. It's, I have some hesitation about it in my yeah. own, you know.
1: It, it's not an easy thing because, uh, I mean, most agency owners, we were producers, or many of us were producers at another agency, and we're sales-driven yeah. people. We're either sales-driven or marketing-driven yeah. people. And so when you've got a potential client uh, that's interested in doing business with you, who wants to say no to that? That's, that's 100%. Very, very yeah. unnatural. Um, yeah. And, and I've had to force myself um, to, to do that. And it makes sense to do it when you look at the numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's hard though, and I think you're right.
0: I think like you know, the type of person that an agency owner is typically a motivated, driven yeah. person who who loves the the kill, right? And oh, yeah. so sort of like just be like, I'm just
1: gonna pass on this one. That's yeah. tough to do. And, and, um, and especially early on, the newer the agent, that the harder it is to niche. I think because oh yeah, you, you need to feed the family. and yeah, for sure. You're, you're passing on a piece of business that could mean you put food on the table the next day. That that's not easy to do. What would your advice
0: be on to, to a newer agent who is like catching this? Like, because it might be different than mine. Mine would be, you know, do what you have to do, Write Whatever you got to right to start. And then as you have more time and you have more income coming in from renewals and whatnot, now start looking at niching down. That, that would be my advice. But somebody who's already starting to niche down, you can, you know, you have the information, you know, the numbers, like, what would you tell somebody?
1: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I, looking back, I don't know because uh, I don't want to be a, a one-trick pony as an agency. I don't want to do just real estate investors because I like the diversification. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so to to just do one thing, I don't I don't know that I want to do that as an agency, and I don't know that I would tell somebody to only do one area because I think the ramp up is is harder. And if you don't have uh, the capital sitting in the bank to feed your family and you're relying on the income, That that's going to be tough, but it doesn't mean you can't be picky. Um, what you, what you should be proactive going after is what uh, you want long-term. If something else comes in the door, you know, dental office, and that's not your niche and it's easier to write, you got direct markets to write it. Hey, write the piece of business. Right. Um, uh, but what you should be proactive is what in targeting, what your marketing should be going after is your niche. I would not market mm-hmm. uh, outside of, outside of your niche. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, do you, how's your
0: agency set up? Do you um, have split producer CSR roles? Um, what's it look like?
1: Yeah, great question. So uh, uh, as an agency right now, from a, from a staffing standpoint, I've got a business partner that handles the bulk of the, the operation side of the business and also does a great bit of production himself. Um, uh, he doesn't actually write business, but we'll generate the lead and then hand that to our, our commercial producer. Um, we have uh, a dedicated service team. Um, we, I want my producer focused on closing business, not generating an ev- evidence of insurance, not... right processing a, a basic policy change. And then uh, it is broken down to our commercial service team and, and our personal lines uh, service team. Um, so you have commercial producer,
0: um, commercial service, and personal service and sales? Correct. Now so our,
1: our producer on the commercial side will still still close some um, personal lines accounts just because we don't have a, a dedicated full-time personal lines producer, but yeah. it's not something that we actively target. So he'll handle it as the lead comes in, uh, but we're not marketing uh, for
0: that space. How's that? Have you so so there is some sort of handoff from producer to the service um, team after mm-hmm. the sale. What does that look like, and have you had any sort of uh, you know, pushback from those clients that are in that transition, and yep. I ask that because it's something that I've, uh, we've been kicking around. You know, that idea because right now, uh, everyone in our agency basically services and sells, and sure. so you know, they sell. They sell a client. That client um, continues to reach out to them first for service down the yep. road, and I, I like that. I mean, you're somebody who does service and sales isn't probably not going to be that sort of like killer sales producer that you really want to attract. So like, can you, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I look at it as there are two main types of people that you need in the insurance space. You got to have the hunter and you got to have the farmer. My service team is, is, is the farmer. Uh, they're great at developing the long-term relationships. Uh, they can't stand when we lose an account. Um, it, it, it hurts them to lose an account yeah um my producer i want him to to make the kill throw it over the fence and go get the next one i don't know about <laughs> him you know sowing and reaping and watering no, no, yeah he's produce. um yep. and so uh it is a little bit of a transition a, a tough transition to go from producer and service to the two separate spaces we I dealt with that because uh, when I started my agency, it was just me for the first six months yep. and then brought on uh, my first team member who was uh, on the service side. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, a lot of the clients that followed me to my agency um, were used to just dealing with Keith Rocha, uh, my prior right. agency. It was producer. I was producer and service. So yeah. they'd call my cell phone, hey, I bought a new vehicle. Uh, and and so that transition was harder than than what it is today. Today, it's easy. Because we, we talk about it on the front end as part of the sales process of, hey, we've got a dedicated service team. Hey, I'm not always in the office. I'm, I'm at meetings. I'm, I'm with other clients. I'm sometimes busy. I can't be there all the time. Um, but we've got a dedicated service team for you. And, oh, here, here's this individual uh, we've got in our in our proposal. Um, Pictures and name in the names of our of our service team members of of who our clients will be dealing with on on an ongoing basis. Oh, and then cool. as part of our uh, on, on onboarding process, they interact with our service team the moment they're they become a client. Uh, our producer doesn't send out the applications to be signed. Our service team does. So they handle the the processing. And then when a policy gets issued, our producer doesn't send a confirmation of of coverage. Our service team does and so they're they're interacting day one with the service team it's not something I have to introduce later Um, and so it's just part of our process so now it it works really really well and if a service request happens to come into my personal email or our our producers email he just forwards it to our service team and we have we have a a single service inbox it's just service at insurancegroup.us and uh, that's where all the service requests go
0: nice um so you, you 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 would say segmenting those 100 is probably the best way to handle 100%. it. 100 percent. and do you think it's it's uh that commercial is different than the
1: personal lines in that
0: like would you also say segment the personal lines
1: uh, i would say segment the personal lines um with the exception of having somebody that can do some selling, um, for at renewal time, uh, that's the yeah. of time to cross sell upsell. Uh, and so we, we just have, we have a new uh, individual starting, uh, next week. That's going to be that kind of personal lines, a little bit of service, but a lot of sales to handle the cross selling. Cause your own book is the is the easiest book to sell to they're already doing right. business with you. Why not pick up, uh, the rest of the, of the lines. And so that type of, um, Producer, I like in, in that role. Um, uh, but for the most part, yeah, I would still segment service uh, and, and sales,
0: even on personal nice. lines. Um, do you guys have a? Well, two questions. First, do you guys use uh, a special software for your proposals or is it something you created in house?
1: Well, actually, uh, Nick and I, uh, Nick Ayers, and I uh, collaborated on um, a proposal. Uh, for IOA uh, a couple of years ago, and yeah. uh, that's predominantly what we use for our commercial presentations. How
0: long does that take you to fill
1: out? Uh, not very long because it's it's no. not uh, it's not a ton of the detail. It's more high level, and so we'll include kind of that high level discussion sometimes with then some of the, the carrier proposals with a lot of the minutia. Uh, they don't yeah. clients for the most part they don't care about the policy form you're using. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know does is it. They they just don't care about the minutia and occasionally you get somebody who does and I can provide them more detail. Um, Very few of them want to see the policy specimen prior to issuance. I think I've had that request like twice. Uh, (laughs) And you're
0: like, probably not my type of client. (laughs) No, actually, I love that type of client because
1: if if they're a little bit more painful to pick up and they care about quality of coverage, most agents and agencies are not selling on quality of coverage. They're selling on price. Right. So I love the guy that chooses me because we've got the best coverage. Yeah, yeah, true. I can see that. Um, how long,
0: if you have a client that has a hundred single-family um, rentals, how long does that take you to set up if you put on one form? Like yeah, on one form,
1: uh, actually, not as long as you as, as long as you think. Um, in that case, we would have an Excel spreadsheet that we'd send send to our uh, program administrator, and uh, then they would quote it for us. Oh really? Uh, So, uh, yeah, that could be knocked out. Um, And we we do use, um, we have a virtual assistant as well. We do uh, uh, help with some data entry. So that would be, uh, depending on how we got the info from the client, a lot of our investor clients, uh, they have their entire portfolio already listed out with all the addresses, uh, your construction, a lot of that information already, already handy in an Excel spreadsheet. So sometimes it's just a matter of moving the cells around to get into the format that our carrier wants, and then we just forward it on. Uh so get me done today. Gotcha. are those um, are those
0: policies do those work if somebody has um, mortgages on those properties, or does okay. it only work for cash? It does. yep. So does it work if the mortgage pays the premium? Yep. or if the, if, <laughs> the,
1: yes, it's just a headache from our accounting standpoint because right. then I'm having to send a separate uh, mortgagee bill. Um, and then collect that separate premium um, for for that particular location. Yeah, we do it. It's a headache, <laughs> but hey, for for hundred properties all day.
0: Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Because think about
1: um, it from an activity standpoint. Let's say that guy has hundred properties and he's a buy and hold guy. Um, that might be my only activity on my account for the year is sending the mortgagee bill, sending an EPI, yeah. and collecting the premium, and it yeah. just sits there.
0: Nice, um, so what um, do you have a book recommendation? What's your what's your go to or, or something you're reading now?
1: Well, so I was thinking about that uh, question a little bit earlier. Um, I, I love uh, listening to books. Uh, I use Audible. Uh, uh-huh. I got a lot of FaceTime and um, windshield time in the car, so I love to use Audible for that. Um, and and as I was thinking about it, the, the probably the book that had the most impact on my business getting started um, was a book called The E-Myth and E-Myth Revisited. And and the reason why I say that book is because it helped me from day one um, build a business, not just the job that I own. Uh, And a lot of agencies have the tendency to just own their own job. Uh, They they do everything, in in the not everything, but most things in the agency. Whereas I wanted to build a business, uh, not just the job that I own. And the E-Myth helped me Kind of see that uh, before I even started the agency. Um, did you start documenting
0: your processes kind of at the start, even when it was just you?:
1: No, not at all. Not yeah. No I need that I need I needed cash. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, right. And the processes slowed me down <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nice. Um,
1: cool. Well, um, where can people find you if they have more questions? Yeah, uh, you can find me. I mean, if you're an insurance agent, you can find me in IAOA. Uh, if you're not, if you're an agency owner, you better be in there. Um, That's right. Uh, but I mean, you can, you can call me on my cell, four two three four four three twelve eleven. Happy to to give that out or uh, shoot me an email, Keith at insurancegroup.us. Nice, love it, man. Cell phone. Wow.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> But only calls after 9 p.m.
1: and before 6 a.m. Well, right? like, like, no, I don't care when you call me because, like I, <laughs> I said earlier, before we got in the video, my phone was that's always on right. silent. You would end up leaving me a message, and I'd listen to it see if I if I was gonna call you back. No, I'd call you Love back. It. <laughs> Love it. Nice. Well, um,
0: Keith, thank you so much, man, for being on here. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, no, thank you. That's some that's some valuable information. So, yeah, um, everyone, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be here again. Yeah. you.